0: This week we continue our sermon series in the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We're talking about a burdened conscience. His brothers had sinned against him and their conscience is burdened. What does Joseph do and how does God react when our own consciences are burdened and how does God use that conscience to bring us closer to him? This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, August twenty third, 2015. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we just have two more in our series on the book of Joseph. Hopefully, you'd enjoyed it. I think it's kind of a poignant series, at least for me, as I'm writing the sermons. And I think, okay, we're dealing with um, confession of sins. We're dealing with um, being tempted. We're dealing with uh, handling bitterness, dealing with people who disappoint you. This, I mean, I think it's his home. Hopefully, it has hit home for you. And we just have two more. And today, we're going to be talking about conscience. Um, Conscience is uh, kind of an interesting thing. This is, if you look in the media, conscience is just, it it doesn't even seem real. They talk about like the guy in the basketball court who never passes, he's got no conscience. Or sometimes someone has done something that people consider so heinous that they'd say that person has no conscience. Or it gets down to like kids' TV shows where they have Jiminy Cricket with like the voice and the thing. You know, what is conscience really? Um, God has wired in each of you a voice. If you want to be real technical, God has wired in each of you a voice that uh, speaks to your natural law. So the law is written on every human heart. That's why you can go across the globe and you can see that they don't steal. They know that's wrong. They don't hurt people. I mean, they still do it, but they know you're not supposed to do it. There's no country in the planet where you can go um, assault someone. Everyone's like, yeah, that's normal. That, that does not exist. Lord of the Flies it might, but that's set up by kids, but most places this does not exist. So that's part of your conscience that is working. And so everyone's got this natural voice and uh, the natural law, and then the conscience is the voice that speaks against it or for it. So you enter a situation and your conscience is saying, okay, this is a good idea or this is a bad idea. And what's the problem, of course, with conscience? We've talked about it before you can convince your conscience that right things are wrong and wrong things are right. So uh, usually, usually it's convincing yourself that wrong things are right, not right things are wrong. But I'll give you an example just for clarity. Um, If you grew up in a household where, um, I I just mentioned to the kids, if the toilet paper roll is not, you know, the, the things going, the sheet's this way and it's in the back part, maybe this was a huge deal in your household. So you see that, you feel pangs of guilt. So now you feel like this is maybe a sin against God if I have it backwards against you. I would suggest that, that it's not, and just for a week or so, you should just try it the other way, especially with little kids, because when they go like this, it just spins. It doesn't come out. So that's just a thought. But, or if you grew up like really conservative, um, maybe a Baptist church or something, where they said your dress has to go all the way down to your ankles, and that's the household you grew up in, and then suddenly the first time, I'm guaranteeing, the first time you wore a skirt or something like that that was above your ankles, there was this sense of guilt that says, is this wrong before God? So, conscience is kind of like a sundial in that in the light of um, the sun, apparently they're effective. I've only seen one on top of a hill, but apparently you can kind of get a a sense of the day. But as soon as it's nighttime, can you figure out what time of day it is with a sundial? No. Same thing is true with your conscience. Your conscience functions and your conscience works in the light of God's word. If you do not have that connected to the light of God's word, it's not going to make much sense. Here's an example. I I just was reading this book. So my wife uh, brought home a book. So I read an article about Harlan Coben. Has anyone ever read any of his books? Apparently he's a best-selling author I'd never heard of. Um, Millions of copies. He looks like this. So he looks like 50% of men over 50 right there. there. So um, So Harlan Coben, uh, he was re- wrote an article about how to have a script that's suspenseful, and I thought maybe this applies to a sermon, so then I talked to my wife, and then she got me this book. But this is in his book, and I'm talking about making right things wrong. Usually I give the example of office supplies, but here's a little bit different one from an author who's, who's published. So th- this, the context is this. Um, this guy's wife is accused, Adam's wife is accused of taking money from the lacrosse funds, and this guy named Tripp is trying to say, like... You shouldn't be surprised. So this is what he says. Um, Adam could tell that Tripp was about to start into some philosophical spiel. For a moment, Adam debated stopping him, but maybe he should let go. Maybe the more Tripp talked, the more Adam would learn. His wife was missing at this time. He writes mystery novels, if you're wondering. But let's say, for example, you stay up late at night to schedule the lacrosse practice. You're working really hard, and maybe you're in a dinner like this, so you order a coffee, just like the ones in our hands, and maybe you forget your wallet in the car and figure, you know, what the hey, the organization should pay for it anyway. Legitimate expense, am I right? Adam didn't reply. And then a few weeks later, some referee doesn't show up at the game and say, Tom's Rivers, and you lose three hours of time covering for him, so hey, at least the organization could do is pay you for the gas on the ride down. That maybe it's dinner because you're far away from home and the game ran late, Then you need to pay for the pizzas for the coaches when the board meeting makes you all late for dinner. Then you need to hire local teens to ref the little kids' games so you make sure your teen gets the job. Hey, why not? Who better? Shouldn't your family benefit from all the volunteering you're doing? Adam just waited. So you keep sliding like that. That's how it starts. And then one day you're behind on a car payment and what do you know? Your organization has a big surplus because of you so you borrow some money, no big deal, you'll pay it back. So who are you hurting? No one. That's what you fool yourself into believing. What's the problem with your conscience? Your, your conscience convinces you at times through justification and step by step by step that right things are wrong and wrong things are right. Without the light of God's word, you can get into a really dark place and you can kind of just bury the things you've done in the past. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph's brothers. Uh, Joseph is now prime minister of Egypt and he's, uh, he's setting up everything for the famine. And his brothers who have tried to hide this heinous crime, you can imagine, under oaths. And, you know, like, the real life, I know what you did last summer and said, hey, we will never speak of this again. As they sold their brother. Well, now it's coming back up, and they've buried this so long, and the famine comes in need. So this is uh, Genesis 42. So when Jacob learned that there was a grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt but Jacob did not send Benjamin. Now, why wouldn't he send Benjamin? Okay, we t- this is a couple of weeks ago, so you've got to like, stretch your memory a little bit. So jo- uh, Jacob's married to two women, and then he has two maidservants who he also had relationships with. We said it's a dysfunctional family. But he's married to two women, and one woman he paid half a million dollars for and gave up 14 years of his life for a dowry for the privilege to marry her. One woman he paid the woman he loved, the woman he said, I will give up 14 years of my life to work so I can marry you, is dead. So she gave birth to two sons. One is Joseph, and as far as Jacob knows, he's dead. She gave birth to um, Benjamin years later, that dies in childbirth. So now here, the only thing left of that relationship is Benjamin, and he's saying there's no way I'm going to send that child down. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come. Here's a real question that we're getting at. What does God do when your conscience, you've convinced yourself that something you've done is wrong for so long it starts to get kind of seared? Have you ever touched like hot plates and then your hands get used to it? You run for a while and you get these calluses. You, you, you know, you're, they, that's how the theologians talk about a conscience. They said, your conscience is real sensitive at first. And, but soon you can grow a callus over it, like these brothers have done. And you've convinced yourself that something you're in the midst of or something you've done is really not that big of a deal. What does God do? What does God do when he desires so much to have a relationship with you? What would God be willing to do so that he can wake your conscience up so that you can have this better relationship with him? sometimes it means bring emptiness you ever experienced that you ever gone and like the cupboards are actually bare not like my bear where we shop twice a month for groceries so like towards the end a little slim a little slim not like that have you ever been there when it's like really empty financially when you're saying like how can i actually get these bills to line up you ever felt that way if you haven't felt that way fine but I guarantee there's been a point in your life where emotionally you felt pretty empty. And maybe that's turned into spiritually you felt pretty empty. You ever hear of David Foster Wallace? So David Foster Wallace was, uh, he's an author and he's not alive any longer. Um, so he's an author and he's kind of famous because kind of a new thinker in the new postmodern age. So he wrote the books like The Infinite Jest and no one, there's, no, there's no nods of people that know David. One time he goes to Kenyon College and they asked him to do a commencement speech. And it's probably remarkable for a number of reasons because he drops F-bombs and because he makes this insight into people's life. And what we talked about a couple of weeks ago is, you know how we said how everyone's got like a God-shaped hole in their heart? That's from St. Augustine. And that there's, there's this God-shaped hole in your heart and we try and fill it with other things. And he's talking to these college students and he goes, okay, if you're going to try and fill that heart, with something, not in these words, this is paraphrased, but if you try and fill your life with something and you make that your ultimate, it's not going to work. So if you want it to be ultimately your intellect, you're going to always feel dumb. If that's what you're about, if you say like I'm the smartest guy in a room or smartest woman in a room, you're going to always feel dumb. If, you, if it's your beauty and he says this is really where you find your satisfaction, you're going to always feel ugly. And if it's your fitness, you're going to never feel in shape. And if it's your finances, you're never going to be rich enough. Have you ever been at a point where you so pursued something like a hobby or you so pursued a relationship or you so pursued some financial goal and then you find that it just brings emptiness instead of satisfaction? Happened for the people of Israel. People of Israel are in the desert and God says this, in the desert, they gave in to their cravings. In the wilderness, God, they put God to the test. So God gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. The message, I think, has a little bit better way to put it. It says that God gave them an empty heart. And sometimes when you pursue... You think God, this is God calling to you. You're pursuing all these other things and you want them so badly and you think this is where I'm going to get satisfaction if I just buy this thing or I look like this or I'm fit like this or I've got this brain power or I've got this job or I've got this education or I've got this degree and then suddenly you kind of get it and you've given everything you've craved for and all you have left is this empty heart. Can you think of a story in the New Testament where that happened? Jesus tells a parable and he says there's these two brothers, right? Pastor Spiegelberg just preached on it There's these two brothers, and the one, it goes to his father. His father's very wealthy, and he says, I want my money. And he takes his money, and he spends it on prostitutes and parties and friends. And then at the end of the day, he got everything he wanted. And he's taking care of pigs, and he looks, and he says, I long to fill my belly with what these pigs are eating. I have to go back home. Sometimes, if... uh, be so bold. If you've got a skeleton in your own closet, something you've so compartmentalized and something you've so buried that you, don't want to, you, know, you just bury it down there. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to think about it. It's something you've done or you've said or someone you've wronged. Sometimes God sends emptiness into your life so that you can see that you're not full. He does this to the brothers. Physically, they're empty. They finally get to Egypt. And uh, they get there, and Joseph recognizes them, of course, and Joseph sends them along on their way. So, here we so they said to one another, as Joseph is accusing them of being spies, and do you wonder, is, this, is Joseph reenacting the very thing that they said to him? Do you wonder, like, year, this is decades before this, did he go all the way to his brothers on behalf of his dad, and they're like, guess who's here? The spy. And so he says, you guys are spies. And he puts them in prison. And where do they put him? They put him in a cistern. And I wonder if something is dwelling up, but something must have triggered as not just emptiness now, but now pain and and prison time and suffering has come to their life. They say, surely we're being punished because of our brother. And you can imagine them looking at each other because they never wanted to talk about it again. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, that's the oldest of the brothers. Didn't I tell you not to sin against his body? Against the boy. But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. They turned away from them and began to weep. But then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their very eyes. God talks about discipline in your life. So sometimes there's an emptiness in your life. When, and, and this is the examples I'm, I'm giving. Um, when your conscience says that I don't have an interest to be with God. So an example would be your own sinfulness. An example, and I think on a positive end, is if you know someone that you truly love, that the desire to be with God has kind of drifted away, would God do something drastic to try and bring that person close to him? If as a parent you saw your kids drifting away from what you know is right, how drastic would you go to try and bring them back into what is right? This is what humans do. This is what it says in the book of Hebrews. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we've respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, talking about parents, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I hope you have had a parent that loves you enough to discipline. I hope as a parent you love your kids enough to discipline. I hope you've had a coach that loved you enough to discipline. I hope you've had teachers that love the class enough to actually put some discipline in so that you can hear. I hope you've had you know, communities where discipline happens so that people can function and excel. Do you think it's any different with God? And as you start to shift off what is right and what is good and what is good for you, God is saying, I will send my discipline to you. And through Joseph, God does this to the brothers, and they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. So they go all the way back to their homeland without Simeon. So keep in mind, their brother is still in prison. They go through all their food, and they try and talk to their father. And what does their father say? Their father says, there is no way I'm going to send my youngest son. So Simeon's still in prison. He's like, I'm not going to send Benjamin to get Simeon. How do you think the other guys feel? So he's there. Simeon's there, and the dad is there, and he's like, we're not going to do it. And suddenly, you know, they can't eat. They need food. And he said, all right. I'll send my son. So he sends him all the way over there, and we went through the exchanges. we read that very long scripture reading. Joseph sees him. He has dinner, he weeps, he's heard their own confessions, and it's really emotional for him. He sees his own brother, and he sends them on their way. You ever see that show uh, by John Keoni? So I think that's how you say his name? What would you do? So what they do is they, they stick people in these situations like uh, maybe someone's wearing a burka and they try and shop and then someone's bigoted against them. So then they, they wonder if people will step up or they're at some place, you know they wonder like someone's gonna be physically abusive. Will people actually step up? Or they, some kid is, a man is trying to take a kid away. Will you actually do something about it? Here's Joseph's like real life. What would you do to his brother? So it's not enough that they said, we brought our brother along. He sends them on their way with the, the silver cup in his sack. So they get there and the brothers, they open their sacks and the, the, the steward runs after me, starts at the oldest and it goes to Reuben and then whoever's next after Reuben and then all the way down, you know. It, uh, it goes all the way down and every guy's like, hey, if we have that cup, whoever is guilty, they're guilty. Let us go on our way. It goes all the way down and it gets to Benjamin and they come all the way back to Joseph's house and now they have to stand before him. Why does God... Why does Joseph, I'll start there, why does Joseph allow discipline in these guys' lives? He wants to see their heart. Why does God allow trouble and hardship and discipline in your own life? God wants your heart. And he wants your whole self. And if you have these things that are packed down and hidden that affects your relationship with God, and God says that, we can't, we can't start there. We can't go there. God says, I need your heart. God says, I want you to come to me and lay these sins before me and confess these sins so that you know um, where I stand and you can receive my forgiveness. We see a beautiful, this is from Judah. Now, do you know who it was who suggested? Do you know who it was that suggested as they were going to just put him in the cistern that said, hey, we're not going to make any money unless we sell him Judah. It's Judah's idea that they sell their brother. Now it is Judah who stands before them and says. To Joseph, what can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, how can we say, how can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who is found to have the cup. The kicker is verse 33. This is his words, Judah. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return to his brothers. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Not nearly as awesome as the son of Judah. As you stand before God with your guilt and your shame, and you're trying to fill your heart with so many other things, and you stand before God and God says, listen, in your life you have loved your job more than me, your kids more than me, your money more than me. As you stand before God and God says, you deserve my damnation. You deserve destruction you deserve to be out of my presence forever our jesus stands before us he stands before god and says no then let your servant remain let your servant die let your servant be your slave forever in place of them and let you go that is our savior Why does God allow pain and suffering and discipline in your heart? Because God wants your whole heart. He wants this affect your life in such a way so that you're closer and closer and closer to him. And he wants it to change you from the inside out so that we can stand and say, I have a Savior who loves me enough to stand in my place. I have a Savior that loves me enough to change the way I live. And he wants us to have a clear conscience. Take all those buried things up and get rid of them and lay them before them because every single one is wiped out. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's so frustrating when things happen in our life. We feel barrenness, we feel pain, we feel frustration, but we know that these things, because you love us, are like a a father and a mother. These things happen to us to bring us closer to you. And ultimately, you don't just do this to bring pain to us, but we know that all pain has gone on Christ's shoulders so that we can stand here free and forgiven. Amen.